It's the Comedy Store Tonight, starring Argus Hamilton. With tonight's guests, Tom Rhodes, Earl Skakel, and now, live from the bowels of the world's greatest comedy club, it's the Comedy Store Tonight. Give it up for the star of the show. Here's Argus Hamilton. Welcome to the Comedy Store tonight. I'm Argus Hamilton, your host. And so glad to have our crowd here. Hope everybody had a great New Year. Glad you all did. We're all resolved now. You know, I can't believe it's been a year since I didn't become a good person. <laughs> but here we are, it's now winter time in Los Angeles. Winter is a special feeling, isn't it? You know, there's so many Canadians in LA, it hardly feels like Mexico anymore. <laughs> now this was fun news, everybody in town noticed this one. The Coast Guard announced it seized 90 thousand pounds of cocaine off a freighter bound for LA Sunday morning. It came this close to canceling the Golden Globes. <laughs> <laughs> now what everyone's talking about though is Kevin Spacey. Now Kevin Spacey was arraigned in a Connecticut court Monday for molesting an 18-year-old boy in a restaurant in Connecticut. But after the proceeding he got pulled over for speeding on the way home from the court, but he got let off with a warning by the cop. Stop touching little boys. <laughs> <laughs> now this, a national survey uh, released today, I believe, uh, rated Wisconsin as the drunkest, the drinkingest drunkest state in the union. You believe that? And it's, I think it's true. Last night, Wisconsin got so drunk, it woke up this morning next to West Virginia. <laughs> now this one, I hate to say, but we were covering the news here. A Florida substitute teacher has been accused of smearing feces on a park table to disrupt a child's party. Disrupt? Well, back in my day, the party didn't start until there were feces on the table. <laughs> well, it gets better. Did you see this over the weekend? A woman gave birth after 14 years in a vegetative state. That vegetative state is Arizona. <laughs> and did you see that Michigan, that brand new freshman Michigan congressman, that woman, congresswoman, the Muslim woman, was addressing a crowd on Friday night, and they asked what she was going to do with Trump. She said she's going to impeach the mother ever. Now, that's not right. I mean, there's no proof Trump's ever had sex with the mother of his children. <laughs> <laughs> this time next year, there'll be 200 million golf caps saying, re-elect the mother ever. <laughs> well, it's been reported that men today have 60% less sperm than they had 40 years ago. Did they check their butts? <laughs> it's, a, it's a silly week. You know, the founder of Southwest Airlines, Herb Kelleher, died at age 87 this last weekend. And I, I went to pay my respects. 
during the viewing, I had to stand in group C. <laughs> during the service, a light turned off in the chapel, allowing mourners to know they were free to move about the funeral. <laughs> and now, for the meat of the news, speaking of New Year's, President Trump, the White House has announced, is going on a diet. Yeah. For starters, he's limiting his intake of Central Americans. <laughs> his ancestors didn't come all the way here from Germany to see this country overrun by immigrants. <laughs> you know what? I've been thinking of running for president, and why not, okay? When you think about Trump's womanizing, Clinton's pot smoking, George W. Bush's drinking, Obama's past cocaine use, I realize I have what it takes to be four presidents in one. <laughs> that joke cost me a lot of money. <laughs> Meanwhile, President Trump right now is interviewing for four cabinet opening positions. Four. He has the same question for each applicant, though. Are you wearing a wire? <laughs> <laughs> Well, finally, President Trump went on TV today. And he discussed plans for his new presidential library. That's right. It's a skinny building, 20 feet high, 2,000 miles long, <laughs> with a beautiful view of Mexico. <laughs> and you know what? We've got a great show. Two of my absolute favorite stand-ups are with us tonight, Earl Skakel and Tom Rhodes. Stick around. <laughs> We've got a wonderful show for you guys. I'm Argus Hamilton. Welcome to the show. Oh, hey. Didn't see you there. Haven't you heard? The Comedy Store has merch. Merchandise. Shop.comedystore.com We've got t-shirts. And more t-shirts. And even more t-shirts. Do you like hoodies? I bet you do. Merchandise. I hope you have a permit for those guns, because we've got tank tops. <laughs> Does your head get cold? Check out our beanies. Does the sun hurt your eyes? Check out our hats. <laughs> and for the literary inclined, our yearbook will quench your thirst for knowledge shop.comedystore.com and fulfill all your retail fantasy. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the Comedy Store tonight. I'm Argus Hamilton, your host. And uh, our first guest tonight is a, a, I mean, a real crowd killer. <laughs> all of you stand-up comedy fans know who he is. He headlines all over the country, all over the world, as a matter of fact. And whenever we have him in town, I'm, I'm just blessed to have him here. He's fantastic. He's Tom Rhodes, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you, It's an honor to be on your show, brother. You know, Tom started out, originally in the 80s, you were the voice of Comedy Central, the first voice. Well, I mean, it was in the early 90s. Early but, 90s. Uh, but, yeah, I was the first um, comedian ever to get a development deal with Comedy Central, and I was kind of like the face of the network for two years. Wow, wow. Yeah. Uh, I had something for you. Back in the early 80s, Mitzi had, Mitzi Shore, the owner of the Comedy Store, in the late 70s had copyrighted the phrase Comedy Channel, okay? 
and she had planned on big things that uh, were going to be launching here in April as the Comedy Channel. And in 1981, there was a national uh, convention of, of cable people in New Orleans, and we flew there, and HBO offered her $400,000, uh, three specials a year, and a sitcom, if they could have the title Comedy Channel. And she says, no, I'm keeping it. They said, okay, we'll just, we'll just change it to Comedy Central then. Ah, that's how that started. Damn it! Wow, wow. I did not know that. No, you, you, <laughs> I'm a fount of Mitzi Shore information. <laughs> I'm the keeper of the flame, you know. That's great. No, uh, that's I mean that would history would be lost. Yeah. Well, listen, you travel all over the world, and you're putting together an album based on all those travels. Where have you gone? I just finished editing uh, this album. I'm going to uh, come out with it uh, in probably in the next month or so. Um, and it's called Around the World. I've been recording all of my international shows for the last two years. So wow. every track is a different city around the world. It starts with Paris, Amsterdam, uh, Antwerp, Porto, Portugal, Dublin, Galway, Belfast, London, Berlin, um, Zurich, Basel, Oslo, Stockholm, Vancouver, Sydney, Bangkok, Hanoi. Every Syrian Manila, refugee has done the same thing. <laughs> Manila, Hong Kong, Shanghai, uh, Beijing, Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. Wow! And uh, I just recorded the last two tracks last month in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Tell, tell Shalom, amigos. <laughs> Tell me you killed him in Ulaanbaatar. I did, man. Uh, in Mongolia, it's actually a really great comedy club in, in Mongolia. Really? Ulaanbaatar is the capital. It's the biggest city, 600,000 people, something yeah. like that. And they call Ulaanbaatar uh, UB City for short. So yeah. the, co the comedy club is called um, UB Comedy Club. <laughs> and it seats 200 people. It's in the one cool street where there's the cool bars. Yeah. And it's the cool happening thing to do. Uh, there was one Australian guy, one Eng one French girl, and one American girl from Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, but the rest were all Mongolians. And if you learn anything about Mongolia before you go there, they just melt like butter. So I read Genghis Khan's biography before I went to Mongolia. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I opened up saying... Uh, I, I, I read that everyone in the world is somehow related to Genghis Khan, so I'm just here to visit family. Hello, cousins. <laughs> and under the rule of Genghis Khan, no individual was ever, I read his biography before I came, under Genghis Khan's rule, no individual was ever held responsible for a mistake or an error. It was really? the community's fault oh. as a whole. So if this show doesn't go well tonight, it's all of our fault. <laughs> uh, and I, was, I had great material. So, and then uh, another one I had was... Uh, uh, what about Amsterdam? Well, hang on. I learned my, my favorite Mongolia joke was oh. reading Genghis Khan's biography. I learned as a comedian, yeah. performing in Mongolia, you never give up on a joke, never give up on a story. And if that doesn't work, you can always put aristocrats and noblemen into catapults <laughs> and shoot them against the palace walls because that never fails to make the Mongolians laugh. <laughs> uh, and then a lot of cities, like, I, I lived in Amsterdam for five years. So, the material you <clears throat> So I had a, a lot of, uh, it, it's also, you know, I've been doing the international circuits for 20 years. Yeah. So uh, aside from jokes, there's also a lot of personal stories. Um, for Amsterdam, you were asking me about, yeah. um, 
you know, women are beautiful in Holland. I'm serious. When I lived there, every once in a while, I'd have to go to England just to rest my eyes. Um, but I fell in love with. Is she's filming a television show? No, no. Uh, the uh, the. Uh, I, I, had a, I had a late night talk show on Dutch television. Really? For uh, two years. In English? In English. Oh. Um, uh, thanks for reading my biography before I came <laughs> uh, uh, I fell in love with a Dutch girl, and I moved to Amsterdam for this girl. And, I, and then I was really focusing on London and the European circuits. Uh, this was, I moved there in 2000. Yeah. And then we were together for two years, and then the girl dumped me. Mm. And I was just about to move back to the United States when these people from this Dutch television network saw me performing at a comedy club in Amsterdam, yeah. Tumler, the best club there, and uh, they were looking for an American to host a late night talk show, and I got the job. Wow. And I got to stay in this little country that I had fallen in love with. And uh, so I told the story, the first year I was doing the television show, the first year after the girl broke up with me, she would still get together and fuck me all the time. Uh-huh. Well, That's so Dutch. <laughs> and I was still in love with her, and I wanted to get back together with her. And we're having dinner in this Greek restaurant in Amsterdam one night, and I said, listen, I just want you to know that I still love you, and I want to get back together with you, and I know we can make it work this time, yeah. baby. She goes, oh my God, I thought you knew this was just physical. <laughs> I don't want to get back together with you. And I got all upset like a 14-year-old boy. And I stormed out of this restaurant and I jumped on my bike and I'm just pedaling my ass off. I'm all upset and I'm crying and I'm pedaling furiously. And I turned up <clears throat> Leidzestraat, one of the streets you're not allowed to ride your bike on. Uh-oh. My front wheel went into the tram track. I went over the handlebars and I landed on my face on the street. And my forehead and my nose and my chin got all scraped up. And the next day I woke up and my face was mangled. And I had to be on television later that oh, afternoon. Oh, no. I'm, I'm fucked. I'm in a panic. So I went to the Bayerkorf. It's the biggest department store in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. And I went to the makeup area. And there was one chair open. And I sat down. And it was this gay guy. And I told him my whole life story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stand-up comedian from the United States. And I moved here with this girl. And she broke up with me. And she's still having sex with me. I said, I want to get back together with you. She said, I thought you knew this was just physical. And I have to be on television in three hours. Please help me. And the guy goes, uh, do not worry. I am a professional makeup artist. And I am also in love with a bastard. <laughs> when I'm done with you, no, no, anything happened to you. And then the guy went to work on my face with little sponges and brushes. And I swear to God, the man did such an amazing job on my face. He saved my job. I would have lost my fucking job. My face was fucked. This guy fixed me. And I went back the next day with flowers to thank him, and he wasn't there. Uh-uh. Went back the next day with flowers to thank him. He wasn't there. I went back every day that week with flowers looking for yeah. him. He wasn't there. I still go back several times a year whenever I'm there. I've never seen the man yeah. ever again in my life. Yeah. I don't think the man actually existed. Wow. I think he was an angel. Or well, we're all just addicted to rejection. He was a gangel. A gangel. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Amsterdam, did you ever play Berlin? I played Berlin uh, in October. It's on the track. Well, uh, there's a great Berlin track. Uh, uh, do you mind if I pop off these jokes? Oh, absolutely. Please okay. do. Okay. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, well, first of all, the first time I went to Berlin, <clears throat> I, I'd been, I played in Berlin twice before, but I had not been there in 10 years. Yeah. When I first went to Berlin, I could not get the war out of my head. Right. I just looking around and I'm thinking, Jew killers. I'm picturing young. 22-year-old kids in SS Nazi uniforms and shit. Everywhere I looked, I just couldn't get the war out of my head. Uh, but now that my country's gone full Nazi, uh, I had a whole new appreciation for Berlin. And I, 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 could, I could enjoy it for the city that it is. And um, 
Berlin, Germany is 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 doing some amazing things. Uh, in Germany, <laughs> university education is free for every citizen wow. because education is a basic human right. That's mm -hmm. in the German Constitution. Wow. In Germany, it is not illegal to escape from prison. Really? Because the German Constitution recognizes a human being's desire to be free. So if you uh, escape from prison in Germany and they catch you, they don't punish you or give you extra time. They just put you back in your hole. Uh, in Germany, this is the best part, uh, not only is prostitution legal, but the German government funds prostitute visits for disabled people. Oh. The German government is concerned about the self-esteem and orgasms of disabled people. Isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever heard? They're, uh, they're still so, making amends. So, uh, it, so, you know, keep that in mind. If you're ever in prison in Germany and you escape from prison and you fall off a five-story building and you're paralyzed for life, don't lose hope. Uh, <laughs> the German government will find a way to make you squirt if they have anything to say about it. So. Well, I have one question for you about Germany that I've always wanted to know. Yeah. If, if I were able to ask Lois Bromfield, who's in Germany, great comedian. I remember her. We, we were all raised to it. I'd ask you this. What do you think, from your knowledge of, of Berliners, was their reaction when um, the producers came to Berlin and, and they sat in the audience and heard Springtime for Hitler? I, I imagine, <clears throat> I don't know, but I imagine that it was, they thought it was very funny because uh, for years anything Nazi or, or, or like that in, in entertainment was banned there. Yeah. Uh, so they didn't get Hogan's Heroes until like the mid-90s. Right. And I heard Hogan's Heroes was a fucking smash hit. Oh. And I, I heard that it still airs there and they think it's hilarious because like... But it, whose the, jokes were they laughing? Well, they, 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 the Nazis are all buffoons. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that they're all being outsmarted. Yeah. They think it's hilarious. I mean, you, you, I mean, you'd have to go to some countryside yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. skinhead camp yeah, to find red, anybody that yeah. uh, would be offended by yeah. the Nazis. But, but I, I remember it was a big deal in the press when the producers went to Berlin, and I never did read the reviews and wondered how it went. Yeah. So you went I imagine they, they loved it yeah. for the so, same reason they loved Hogan's Heroes. Did you uh, t talk about Asia? Then yeah. they learned about Bob Crane's personal life. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, uh... You went to uh, China. We're, we're having a lot of dealings with China now. What, what's your uh, <clears throat> I have performed all over China. <clears throat> China's amazing. Uh, on the album, I have Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Beijing. Yeah. And um, I think a, a big mistake that Americans make is to think that China is a backwater. Yeah. There are uh, cities of 20 million people there that you've never even heard of. Wow. And... Um, I've been going to China for 20 years now, and I've seen this massive jump in prosperity. Mm -hmm. Used to be mostly bicycles in Beijing, and a lot of pollution, a lot of lot of impoverished people. Yeah. And in the last 20 years, there's been a massive leap. I mean, however many, what are they got? Four billion people, six billion. Yeah. We're 325 million. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have been pulled out of poverty in China. Yeah, and sales in Walmart have <clears> to do that too. And well, well, and it was toys and cheap plastic goods twenty years ago. Yeah. Now it's um, memory sticks and electronics, and um, you know. What were they like in the audience? Uh, I assume you had good English listening crowd. In China, the audience will it always normally be half expatriates from everywhere, yeah, um, and then half Chinese people that were either raised in Western countries, yeah. Canada, America, England, Australia, or went to university in those countries. Right. 
So uh, were they they'd laugh at the same jokes that you would tell? Yeah, and a lot of them, they love English language comedy. Shanghai is my favorite city in Asia. <clears throat> There's a jazz scene there now that's supposed to be comparable to Harlem in the 30s. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, there's a, a black female comedian from Alabama I met at the Edinburgh Festival. She was doing a one-woman show, and Nina Simone, uh, she told me about that. And so I've, I've tried to check out the jazz scene the last few times I'm there. Uh, whenever I'm in Shanghai, I always meet people doing really interesting things, like, you know, um, Swiss filmmakers, French journalists, Japanese anime people it's always very artistic there's there's some cool shit happening yeah. in in shanghai how about the mediterranean uh been uh which part i mean i was just in israel that's on yeah. the, that's on the mediterranean how'd you like that uh what does that mean we're wrapping it up soon <laughs> <clears throat> how did i like the uh, israelis i tell you what i took my jesus freak 80 year old mother with me to jerusalem <laughs> and i don't know if heaven exists but if it does Bringing your Jesus freak mother to Jerusalem should uh, get me. It'll be like having global entry at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was interesting. Uh, it was very tense, and uh, going to Jerusalem made me less of a religious person. Really? And it made me realize that the thing that I love the most about Los Angeles and America and Florida, where I'm from, uh, the thing that I love the most about the United States is our lack of history. Mm -hmm. uh, our history is George Washington slept here. Marilyn Monroe blew a guy there. Biggie Smalls was killed there. You know, it's not like somebody's going to stab you to death over something that happened two weeks ago, 50 years ago, 2,000 years ago. There was a lot of tense. There, there was Boulevard. a lot of tense shit there, man. <laughs> Unless you go where? Cross Olympic Boulevard. That's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, there was uh, two people had been stabbed to death at the Damascus Gate. When I uh, last week or whenever the last week we were there, yeah, some serious shit going on. We had a shootout at a bowling alley down in the South Bay. Did you hear about that? Well, you know what, man. Some people insist on wearing regular street shoes on the, fucking, <laughs> on the wood, and you know what that does to the lanes. You know, I mean, you gotta wear the proper shoes, and that should be worthy of. A well, before we wrap it up, <clears throat> but yeah, so this album, man, it's uh, it's the, it's the greatest thing I've ever done. And uh, it, I've been obsessed with it for the last two years. Yeah. The album is three hours long. Three and hours of stand-up? And it's all jokes and stories about these places. It's a university education of all these important things that you should know. Uh, like, uh, you know, Paris, I talked about Voltaire. Voltaire said God is a comedian playing in front of an audience too afraid to laugh. Uh -huh. uh, Voltaire's biggest rival was Rousseau. <clears throat> they used to write... Um, nasty criticisms about each other in the newspapers. That was really? the 17th century equivalent of a Twitter bitch fight. <laughs> and uh, in the end, when Rousseau was being persecuted, Voltaire said of his archenemy, the person he hated the most in life, although I disagree with what you say, I will defend with my life your right to say. That's where that quote comes so from. So there, there's, there's, it's, it's the greatest thing I've ever done. My wife is divorcing me. Really? Yeah, and part of the reason was because I've been gone so much. <laughs> and uh, so this album came with a price, but... Uh, it was worth I, the material. I think it's the greatest thing I've ever done, and I think everyone who hears me speak these words should buy the motherfucker. Well, here's the deal. What we have, Tom, we have a lot of young comedians who watch this show. Yeah. And I think it would be highly instructive. What's the title of it again? Around the World. Around the World. Tom Rhodes, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you, ladies.
thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having Tom Rose, we will be. Welcome back to the Comedy Store tonight, and I'm so tickled to have our next guy. He and I are friends, and uh, all I can tell you is that he's a tremendous favorite here at the Comedy Store. Uh, you know him from the Showtime series, I'm Dying Up Here, and uh, about a, a place similar to the Comedy Store in the late 70s, but he's all over the place, but he's a huge favorite. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Kennedy's nephew, Earl Skiggs. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you, right? Good to see you, Argus. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, I'm Dying Up Here. Yeah, it's not coming back, which is uh, sad. Uh, it died up there. It, it, it died up there. <laughs> it died on Showtime. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was an awesome experience to be around that many talented people. And, uh, you know, I'm sad uh, that it's not coming back because it was, I thought it was very well written. and. Uh, you know, I think people got confused because, like, all my friends would be like, it's not that funny. But uh, the world of stand-up, it's, it's not a funny business. It's uh, a lot of depression and rejection, and it's a sad... Uh, you do a lot of warm-up? No. <laughs> I don't think anyone would hire me to do audience warm-up. Uh, maybe the Holocaust. But, um... um but, you know, it is a depressing business. I mean, Tom's been in it 30 years. You've been in it a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's a great business, but uh, I think people got lost that there wasn't, like, a laugh track on it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't what's happening. Uh, you know, it was a serious uh, show. So I think that got lost in translation. I, um, I was in on the genesis of that show. And uh, it happened in the year 2005 when the great comedian George Miller died. Uh, David Letterman's best friend and a real acerbic wit, a lot like you. I mean, he called him as he saw him and sharp, you know. Right. And he was greatly loved, but he had poor health. And when he died, there was a wake for him, a memorial over at the Laugh Factory on a Sunday afternoon. And it was just packed with baby boomer comics and our mentors from the early to mid to late 70s. It was just jam-packed, including uh, Leno and uh, Tom Dreesen, and, but the place was packed. And we had such a uproarious three-hour time reliving that period. Sure. The, the Los Angeles Times uh, reporter, Bill Needleseater, who was the, in charge of the comedy at, at Los Angeles Times, happened to be there. And he saw it, and he started interviewing Mitzi and all the comedians, and he wound up writing a book about the strike of 79 called I'm Dying Up Here, and, and would sell it to Showtime. Well, I think that was also confusing because the show was, uh, you know, based on that book. But it didn't necessarily follow the the book, so I think people watching it were confused and like they didn't know if Santino uh, was playing a Bill Hicks type of character, yeah. and uh, you know I think uh, if it would have followed the book, maybe it, it might have gained steam with the people mm -hmm. who were fans of the book. So uh, were the uh, were the uh, actors on that show primarily actors? Yeah, I mean, uh, like Jake Lacey and Clark Duke, I, I, I don't believe had any stand-up experience. But I thought they were pretty funny yeah. for, for people who've never done it. And I thought the comics were really good actors. I mean, uh, Andrew Santino had a great scene in the very last episode. Yeah. Of course, we didn't know it was going to be the last episode at the time. <laughs> but uh, with Melissa Leo, who's won an Oscar, yeah. uh, and he held his own. So yeah. I thought all the comics stepped up and all the actors stepped up their comedy game. Uh, 
but it just never really uh, gained traction. They moved it around a few times to, I think it first started after Twin Peaks and then uh, second season after Ray Donovan. Mm. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it, it just the people who, uh, you know, Showtime's a weird network. It, it, it's on cable and yeah. a lot of people don't have cable. You know, they have Netflix or Hulu. Mm -hmm. So maybe it would have fared better on Netflix, uh, but I guess we'll never know. Well, what I do know is that the era itself that they're talking about, the reason the comedy store took off like it was, was that the comics that Mitzi chose, I mean, all she cared about was charisma. Right. Okay. And I'm telling you, if you would have had a cast on that show as charismatic as the comics who uh, were actually there, uh, the show would, would run for 20 years. I mean, these guys, unbelievable charisma and star power. And they all became stars. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think the show uh, captured the wildness of that era. Uh, I thought it could have gone further. Uh, Did they stop at pot? Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of cocaine was thrown in there. About time. Um, I mean, I had one of the main writers go, hey, you know, in, in season three, we're going to have a storyline where... Uh, Ari Grainer's character Cassie is so desperate and uh, you know full of depression that she's going to sleep with you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the network. Was there no quaaludes available? No, uh, I had uh, uh, Rohypnol and uh, powder form, <laughs> and uh, they uh, the network said we don't want her getting passed around like that, and so Showtime cock blocked me. Uh, <laughs> Which is not an unfamiliar uh, habit at the comedy store. It's, you cannot leave your lady friend alone up here. It's, really? Oh, it's it's awful. I mean, I've lost every girlfriend to this club. Really? So, <laughs> I mean, it's like the bar in Star Wars on that patio after nine o'clock. <laughs> so if you leave your girlfriend alone up here, you probably won't see her for a few weeks. It's a beautiful city, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, the Me Too uh, moment uh, really changed the way the Christmas party operated this year. Had <laughs> <laughs> all the new waitresses coming out to me. Hey, Earl, you know, they may have had some alcohol. I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. Uh, six, it's like the strip club rule, six foot rule. Yeah. Uh, Although Been a lot uh, of witnesses, yeah, I mean, well, there are two areas in this club where the cameras are not, uh, <laughs> so you have to be a real, uh, you know, saboteur to know where those two areas are. Uh, I do. Uh, <laughs> actually, we're in one of those rooms right now, so it's great to sit in a seat that probably a door guy got blown in last night. <laughs> <night. laughs> where did you develop as a stand-up? Well, I, you know, I first came up here in around 2000, yeah. and uh, I saw Brody Stevens. Yeah. Uh, he was hosting Potluck, and he made an open mic comic cry. <laughs> um, and, of course, in the 2000s here, in the early 2000s, it was not the comedy store we know of now. It was very dreadful and an incredibly dark energy. And this kid had bombed pretty badly. Yeah. And Brody got on stage and said, hey, where are you from, buddy? And the guy's like, La Jolla, real sheepishly. And Brody was like, well, that drive just got a lot longer. 
and he was crying, and uh, I just remember going, I don't know if I'm ready for this place. A guy from La Jolla feeling sorry for himself? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I just played there on New Year's weekend, you know? Well, I mean, now it's a great uh, scene, but back then, in the, I think even in La Jolla in the early oh, 2000s... La Jolla's always been a place for us. Or all yeah, well, yeah, rich white know. people. Yeah. Uh, you know, the sign at the border says, welcome to La Jolla. 98% white, 2%, what the hell are you doing in La Jolla? Yeah, they were lost going on the way to the courthouse. Uh, <laughs> but so I really started elsewhere at open mics in the valley and, and any bar show I could find. And then about 2009, I said, oh, I'll go back up there and, and see if I could, uh, you know, be more uh, mentally prepared to handle the, uh, the scene up here, which mm -hmm. was still even then quite dark until uh, a certain talent coordinator was uh, let go of his duties because mm -hmm. of, uh, let's just say, his interesting accounting methods. <laughs> and, uh, and then Adam Ega took over, and Eric Anderson have made this club mm -hmm. the number one club in the country. So. And, uh, and uh, coincidentally, uh, or simultaneously, I should say, uh, millennials, 95 million of them, uh, they, they're working and they got good money now, and they're packing the we got a great generation of, of young people that you and I get to play to here. Oh, I mean, tonight it's Tuesday. There's two sold-out uh, shows in the main room, which, yeah. you know, in the early 2000s, the main room would have been shut down. There would have been maybe 12 people watching Sebastian, you know, at 10 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, and that's not an exaggeration. The belly room was uh, quiet. So it's really amazing for people who were around in that era to see what it is now. Yeah. And it's an honor to to be passed up here. Yeah, Mitzi had to do everything she possibly could to keep this club together in that era because there were only about 40 million Generation Xers in the United States. Uh, and it was a real little generation. And they were far more into hard rock and music than they were comedy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, now there's so much uh, channels and venues for comedy that uh, it's well, like an outside promotion for this place. Mm -hmm. you, you see Netflix specials of Comedy Store paid regulars, so you want to come here to see them live. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, of course, some might say there's too many specials out there, uh, but I still like to have one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're a registered as I was talking about, Tom. Like Tom, you're a crowd killer. I mean, is, is it lack of motivation? What's keeping you from getting this special? Well, uh, I don't have any representation, and I, I think there's a lot of politics in, in the business of yeah. stand-up. Uh, you know. Interesting, for Bobby Kennedy's uh, nephew complaining about politics. Well, I mean, a lot of people don't know that, you know, you might notice sitting next to me that my head is so big uh -huh. that if I was riding shotgun with JFK, he'd still be alive. <laughs> <laughs> What a secret service agent you would be, my God. And Bobby Kennedy had the worst bodyguard in the history of bodyguards. <laughs> Rosie Greer, yeah. who was a 400-pound slob with arthritic knees. <laughs> and you'd think he would have been able to get to the guy with the gun in the front yeah. row. Uh, so the Kennedys... Well, Bobby's last words didn't help him. Yeah, where's my waiter? No, so, out of my way, bus boy. <laughs> um, hello. Uh, that hurts. That's family, Marcus. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, you would think I would have problems getting uh, representation with the Kennedys. I don't know if it helps me being related to the Kennedys or the Skakels. Yeah. Well, your grandfather was just as rich as old Joe Kennedy. 
Oh, yeah, well, the Kennedys made their money in bootlegging. Uh, my grandfather would drive by oil refineries in the late 20s, yeah. and he would see they would throw away their waste. Uh, yeah. And he would go into their uh, offices and say, can I have your waste? And they thought he was crazy. Yeah. Said, yeah, you can have it. And he turned it into graphite and oil products. You know, it'd be like literally someone coming in here asking the comedy store, to buy their uh, paper shredder uh, droppings. Yeah. yeah, you can have it. And then someone turns it into, you know, steel. By the way, some comic come by and just take old jokes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is Carlos here tonight? Uh, I mean, Ned. I mean. Oh, sorry. That's too soon. <laughs> too soon. I don't think any joke, though, is too soon. Because uh, I, I was doing 9-11 jokes before the second plane hit the tower. <laughs> I lost four friends that day, you know, all right? Abdul, Shamal. Uh, Muhammad Adam, he was a good guy. Very funny stand-up, Muhammad Adam. He killed. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I mean, I, I remember where I was in 9-11. I was in bed. Yes. Because um, it happened at a very inconvenient time for uh, L.A. Comics. And uh, my sister called me up and said, turn on the TV, they're attacking. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You just need some better cocaine. Character. <laughs> and uh, what I had neglected to remember was on uh, September 10th, uh, 2001, I was uh, watching Channel 598 on direct TV, which yeah. is uh, the only channel that shows full penetration. <laughs> so that was the channel I turned to, and I'm like, Caroline, I think the world's doing just fine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was a wacky day. Well, uh, where do you want to go? What do you want to do with your life now? Uh, you know, I just want to be the best stand-up I can be, and, uh, you know, I get on more TV shows. Uh, I was lucky enough to be in Roast Battle, which was a great... Uh, what was Roast Battle like? A Roast Battle in the beginning was great. Uh, you know, I, I experienced some politics with the show that I, I didn't necessarily enjoy. Uh, but, I mean, Comedy Central gave me my first uh, TV appearances. Uh, Jeff Ross got it on television because um, before Jeff got involved, we were like the little show that was just up in the belly room. Yeah. That uh, it was a crazy show. Uh, it was like Jerry Springer meets uh, Wally George meets yeah. Morton Downey, and, and uh, with a little bit of Don Rickles insult humor. Uh, and then Jeff got it on TV, and it's not my normal sense of humor to look at someone and go, "You're fat, you're ugly, you have a big nose." Uh, you're anorexic, but when I found out you could get paid for it, I'm like, oh, I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, you and I are kindred souls, and I think you and I are both just plain pure stand-ups, and we just love that audience and get up there every night, and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I mean, that's the worst thing to say to someone uh, <laughs> when you walk into a meeting, and, and I had a meeting the other day with a really big uh, talent manager, and he's, he asked me the same question. He's like, well, what do you want to do? And like, I just love doing stand-up. Yeah. Uh, and he looked at me and he's like, uh, yeah, there's no money in stand-up. Uh, what do you really want to do? I'm like, well, uh, I'm 50, so porn's probably out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's the weirdest thing to want to do something because you just love it. Yeah. But the industry, they, they don't really care what you love to do. Yeah. They want to know what you can do to make them money. Uh, so just, Anyone who tells you there's no money in stand-up, whatever they're doing, there's no glory in that. Well, I think uh, most managers and agents are lazy, and they don't want to put in the work to say, well, let's get Earl on Conan, because then when he goes on Conan or Kimmel, yeah. uh, he'll get this, and we can get that for him. They just 
They want you to come with something already, like a roast battle, and go, I'm on roast battle. Okay, well, we'll work with you because you're on that show. Uh, and they want to take the money, but they didn't do anything to get you it. So uh, that's, you'd think 20 years into comedy, I would have figured that out. But uh, it, it's still a learning business for me. So. Well, they can be a second generation of leeches because back in the late 70s, you had managers, there were six or seven of them in this town, that connected up to Wazoo, to all of the studio chiefs, to uh, Fred DeCordova at The Tonight Show. You were connected if you were with one of those management companies. Even uh, an independent, like uh, a guy broke away from William Morris, decided he was going to manage one comic. In 1979, he went around to the comedy store, looked at every comedian, and he said, I'm going to manage you. And he was pointed at Michael Keaton. And he got Keaton the sitcom, the first movie, and boom, the movie career. There were managers that used to work for you in this town. I mean, that's the one thing that gives me hope, is that uh, all you need is that one person. Yeah. Uh, and it's, that's why whenever I'm at the, you know, in the original room late night, I give it my best. Absolutely. Because you, know, you never know who's in the room, you know. We have a cook here who uh, developed as a stand-up, uh, Amy Lee, uh, who uh, developed up in uh, Canada. And she just decided she was going to go ahead and, and work it out uh, last Monday night in the, uh, on open mic night. And Vicki Barbalek happened to be walking through, saw her kill, and now she's going to be opening for Vicky on the road. Yeah, I mean... It, it happens right here. Oh, there's a cook up there named El Tocho. Who, uh, <laughs> I, I'm telling you right now, if I ever quit comedy and get into comedy management, he's the first guy I saw. El Tocho. Because he's... Uh, I rep El Tocho. <laughs> he puts his rubber glove on, oh. and the crowd's like, this is the guy who just served us our chicken tenders? <laughs> And he talks about his wife as a lesbian, and he speaks broken English. How Trump hasn't deported him yet is a miracle to me. Earl Skanko, ladies and gentlemen, here. Yeah. Wonderful. What a show. And another round of applause for the great Tom Rhodes. Yes, he Rhodes. Wow. What a show tonight. We'll be right back to say goodnight after this. Welcome back. I want to thank our, our staff tonight. We put together a fun monologue. I want to thank our regular audience members and, of course, uh, my personal producer, Lauren Taines, who got me all ready for you. And next week, uh, we've got two great new guests. But every Tuesday, 8 o'clock, you can uh, Google the show on Facebook and party live with us right here at the Comedy Store. I'm Argus Hamilton. We'll see you next week. Enjoy the show. Yeah. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Tom. Thank you so much, buddy. Great work. Fantastic. Learned a lot. I mean it.